Perhaps you've been in this situation before. You invite some friends on an outing or over for dinner, and at first everyone seems excited. So you start making the arrangements. But as the date of the event draws near, your friends start to call and cancel. They all have good reasons, of course, but you suspect that the real reason is that a better invitation came along. The last three Sundays, we've heard three parables with a similar theme. They are all about an invitation that is initially accepted, but ultimately rejected. In the parable of the two sons, the second son says yes to his father, but doesn't end up going to work in the vineyard. In the parable of the wicked tenants, the tenants sign the agreement with the owner, but will not give him their part of the bargain at harvest time. And in today's parable, there is a wedding invitation that is initially accepted, but ultimately rejected. Now we can learn a lot from this story because the different ways that the, that the invitation is rejected show us by contrast what it means to truly accept God's invitation. Well, the first step, as everyone knows, is to RSVP. Summers are busy times for weddings. It's not uncommon to get several wedding invitations and then to have to decide which wedding to attend or to decide between attending a wedding and going on a vacation or some other event. But notice how the parable concerns not just any wedding, but the wedding of the king's son. This wedding would have been not just a social event, but a great occasion of state. And attending would be a way of expressing loyalty to the legitimate successor and heir. And this is why the rejection of the invitation would have been so offensive and unthinkable. For subjects to refuse the king's invitation is tantamount to rebellion, especially because those who were invited had already agreed to come. Much like today, in the ancient world, wedding invitations were sent out twice, or at least twice, once far in advance, like we might send out a save-the-date card, and then again closer to the event. So those who had, those invited had already returned their RSVP cards. It was only at the last minute, after all the preparations had been made and the food was on the table, that they refused to come. Some resuming their daily lives, others declaring outright revolt against the king by killing his servants. And here is the story's warning. We must not be like the seed that fell among thorns in the parable of the sower. We must be careful to not let the gospel message get crowded out by worldly pursuits. Accepting the invitation is not just putting the save the date card on the fridge. It means choosing to attend over all other engagements of life. But this waffling, this indecision, is what Jesus saw happening in his ministry. He was calling people to repent and return to God, but many were not willing to come, to come to God in the only way possible, by way of repentance and faith. It's this rejection of the Messiah and his message that makes these guests unworthy. And the very words Jesus uses here anticipates his lament over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. To accept God's invitation, we need to RSVP. We need to 
make up our minds to attend, but we also need to show up. As a result of the first refusal of the invitation, the call is opened up to all people. In fact, the king's servants go out searching the back roads and collect all they can find, both bad and good. That phrase always surprises me, both bad and good. If you're like me, you might be thinking, what is God doing inviting bad people into the kingdom? I think this is actually true on two different levels. First of all, the mission of the church will bring in so-called bad people in the sense of those who are clearly living sinful lives. These are the tax collectors and sinners that we often meet in in the Gospels. But much of Jesus' teaching was aimed at showing that we are all sinners. In fact, the ones who appear on the surface to be living good lives, think of the scribes and Pharisees, often struggle with inner spiritual sins, pride, envy, covetousness, which are, if anything, even more dangerous than the more external and obvious sins. But there is a second sense in which both bad and good are invited to the banquet. Bad in this sense means those who are called, but not chosen. Those who show up at the trophy ceremony wearing the wrong team's jersey. Accepting the invitation means not only showing up, but showing up dressed appropriately for the party. This seems to be Jesus' focus in that odd little ending with the man without the wedding garment. What's going on there? Well, we get a clue in Revelation 19 a passage that also talks about God's kingdom in terms of a marriage supper. It says, the bride of the lamb has made herself ready. It was granted her to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So the wedding garment is a symbol of a life that is appropriate to one of God's new people. The man without a wedding garment is playing the role of the hypocrite. On the surface, he appears to have responded to God's call. After all, he shows up. But it hasn't affected his life. He is the one who has faith without works. And as James notes, the lack of works shows that his faith is not genuine. In other words, members of God's kingdom are expected to live according to the standard of that new kingdom reality. Their yes to God's call should result in a changed life. Now, I'm not good at reading minds, but I think I can anticipate a nervous objection. Perhaps you're thinking, just how good do I have to be to get in? And anyway, I thought we were saved by faith, not by works. Well, if that's what you're thinking, let me try to set your mind at ease. First of all, the invitation is not based on anything we have done to earn it. Nothing we do could ever earn God's favor. It is God's free gift. In the parable, the invitation goes out to all, both bad and good. But that doesn't change the fact that the invitation is an invitation to enter a particular kingdom with a particular character where God is king and all freely submit to his will. To say that we want to be part of this kingdom but don't want to submit to this king, it's kind of like showing up on your wedding day already married to another. This is why Jesus sums up the point of the passage by saying, many are called, but few are chosen. 
God's people sometimes took their chosenness for granted. And here Jesus says that chosenness is not something we can take for granted, like proper ancestry or just showing up, but a calling to which we must respond. As one scholar put it, those unworthy of entering are not only those who spurn the gospel invitation, but also those who ostensibly accept it while rejecting what it really represents. So what might all of this mean for us today? First, this parable forces us to think honestly about which invitation we have accepted, God's invitation or the world's. One way to do this is to ask, what are we doing with our time? Where are we investing our money? How are we using our gifts? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, what does our time, talent, and treasure say about what we really value? Second, we should ask ourselves if we are truly living under the authority of Christ. If we are, our lives should give evidence that we are not like the man without the wedding garment, or like Judas, who also broke bread with our Lord, but lacked the righteous deeds of the saints. Lastly, the parable urges us to consider whether Jesus truly is our king. Do we rejoice over his marriage and his succession to the throne? In order for our hearts to rejoice in his reign, we must not secretly envy it. But we have every reason to rejoice, for the feast which celebrates the enthronement of our Lord is also a lavish celebration for the salvation of his people, his holy bride. And we are given a foretaste of this heavenly banquet every time we celebrate the Eucharist. Let us then make ourselves ready and respond to God's invitation with repentance and faith, with a life that points to Jesus our King, and with an overwhelming sense of joy for the gift of salvation. For blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb.